the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. That means we have come to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, life stuff questions, whatever's on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We got a lot going on. Of course, it's always that way on the weekends around here. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to be teaching our second Bible study in a new book. We've started the book of Galatians on Friday night. So that's going to be here tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, on Sunday, I am in back in the book of Acts after the Good Friday and um, Easter Sunday services. So we're back on our regular chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study through the Bible. Um, we see uh, another table server, Philip, promoted to evangelist and even miracle worker as he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. So that's coming up this weekend, wherever it is that you go to church. Remember, your function is to be a part of the body of Christ. In other words, get up in the morning, say, Jesus, divine appointments. Who do you need me to talk to? Who can I comfort or who can I encourage? And let the Lord use you. It will change everything about your church experience. And I think that's a really, really good thing. Well, let's get to some questions while we are um, waiting any phone calls. Uh, My first one is from our mobile app. This is from Kirby. Uh, She says, what exactly is the Orthodox Church? Are they Christians? And why do they celebrate an Orthodox Easter uh, this Sunday as compared to our last Sunday? Um, Kirby, when you ask a question like that, it's sort of a loaded question. There are Christians, there are born-again Christians inside the Orthodox Church. I was just at uh, a lunch last Saturday with uh, a couple from the church, and she is from the Ukraine or from Ukraine, not the Ukraine. People say that and that's wrong. She's from Ukraine and grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church. So there's several different branches of the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox. So all of those churches, they trace their roots all the way back um, um, to to, to the, the oldest times, and they operate according to their calendars, and um, that's why they're Easter celebration or uh, Orthodox Easter Sunday is different than ours. So um, there's a lot of doctrinal problems, Kirby, with the Orthodox Church, a lot of them. 
Um, they don't teach that you have to be born again. They're very religious in function. Um, there's there's not much Bible teaching. There is um, almost a, a mass uh, that's involved. So um, I'm not super high on the Orthodox Church because I just don't think that they are teaching the Bible. It's not what they're doing. Um, and yet... God has a light, a, a remnant everywhere, and there are certainly uh, Orthodox Christians who are born again who are going to be in heaven with us forever. So, Kirby, I hope that answers your question. I can promise you the the, the young woman, and to me, everybody's young, so uh, the, the young woman and her husband that we were out to, uh, to lunch with last night, I can promise you that she's born again and loves the Lord with all of her heart. So that's, uh, that's the answer to your question. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I actually even have some relatives who are are uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox. They're from uh, the former Yugoslavia. They're Serbians, and uh, they, in, they live in California, and they have a, uh, a church that they drive like 40 minutes to get to uh, because it's a pretty big Orthodox parish. Okay, here's my next question. This one comes from Jenny. Um, she says, I passed around. What does it mean that the women are the weaker vessel? Uh, does that mean physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, or mentally? I heard you talk about that women cannot be pastors. That role is for men. Why is it that God instructed it that way? I always think that God knew that women will be primarily being home raising kids as the men are being providers. Jeannie, a couple of things, and, and you're, 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 Right in in terms of women being the weaker vessel, he's speaking about physically, and and this is a general rule. There are women who are stronger than me, but generally speaking, women are not as strong as men. They're not as big as men, and so we're to treat them. It doesn't say they are the weaker vessel. We're to treat them as the weaker vessel. And and in that passage, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, what he's saying is treat them with extra honor. Don't bully them. Don't uh, dominate them just because you could if you were forced to physically. But treat them with greater respect and greater love and greater kindness. Um, um, just we're to treat them as the weaker vessel. So that's what he means there. Now, you know, Jenny, when you ask questions about why is it that God instructed it that way? Why did God put men in charge instead of women in charge? We really, Jenny, don't get to answer or I'm sorry, ask that question. Um, God did it. Uh, he gives the orders. We follow the orders. It's Jesus' church. It's not ours. So when we come to his house, then we do things his way. And uh, I, I just don't think there's any room for us ever to say, why is it that God uh, instructed that women couldn't be pastors, that leadership roles go to men. Uh, God did it. He did it for a reason. The reasons don't have to make any sense at all to us. But but as servants of God, it's our responsibility to obey them. So I think that's really important. It, to, to say that it was because God knew that women would be at home raising kids, uh, I you know, that's kind of presumptuous. God, of course, knows everything. But God has a plan, and his plan is perfect. And even when we men and women ruin that perfect plan with our imperfections, God is still working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to um, his purpose. So I think it's really important for us. And one of the things, Jenny, that I, I ask our people here at Calvary Chapel to do all the time is forget about the why questions with the Lord. Focus on the who, not the why, because God doesn't owe us an explanation. And in my own walk with the Lord, and this was a gift that God gave me almost from the very beginning, Jenny, I understood that He, the minute I surrendered my heart to him, he was now in charge. And it never occurred to me to say, okay, well, Lord, I agree with this or disagree with this. I understood that he was the one giving the orders. And it was our responsibility, my responsibility, to follow those orders. And then the rest of it, um, just I'm, I'm to be obedient, trusting that God is good. So, um, again, the question, why did God instruct it to be so? Men in charge. 
I can promise you it's certainly not because we're smarter. It's certainly not because we're more spiritual. Uh, It doesn't mean that we are more gifted. None of that matters. It's simply the way God set up his church. You know, Jenny, if if I was to come to your home and uh, before I walked in the door, uh, you said, you know, we and, and we have a lot of people in our church who are from different parts of the world. And you go into their home and there's like a million pairs of shoes who are around um, uh, the door in the hallways and stuff like this. And uh, when that was the case, then what we would want to do is always um, we'd want to uh, obey their house rules. So if someone said, um, we would like you to remove your shoes, it would be rude of me to say, well, I don't take my shoes off. I don't think that's necessary. This is the United States. We don't do that, typically speaking. That would be rude. Well, the same thing is true, Jenny, when we go into God's house. When we go into God's house, it's very important to understand that he makes the rules, and our only responsibility is to be obedient. And we don't need to know the whys. All we need to know is the whats. He told us to do this. We're going to do it, and we'll do it for that. 340-9585, 340-9585. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Rhonda. She says, my husband and I are separated and divorcing. Is it okay for me to start dating again? Rhonda, you are, until you are no longer, you are a married woman. So no, it is not okay for you to start dating again. Um, I, I can't imagine... I mean, God hates divorce. Uh, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you and your husband are professing Christians. Um, God hates divorce, and you shouldn't be divorcing. Um, but no, uh, it's not okay for you to start dating again because you are still legally married, and that would be adultery. And and you know, certainly you're not going to do that. So, uh, and I'm not suggesting that you would be sexually immoral or anything, Rhonda. Just the the idea is you're still married, and you can't step out on your husband, no matter what's going on, no matter how difficult the situation is. It's not okay to start dating. I can tell you what it is okay to do, Rhonda, to use this time you and your husband separated to really reflect on your role in the divorce. Now, I'm sure your husband is equally or maybe even more responsible for for how things ended up. But that's beside the point. This is a time for you to get close to Jesus. This is a time for you to repent of any sin that you might be guilty of. Just because this world, and especially in our country, we throw away marriage so quickly and so easily, never means that's okay with God. So this is a time to sit back and say, Lord, I made you a promise. I told you that I would love him good times and bad through sickness and health and for richer or for poor. Until death do us part, I always say until Jesus comes for us. And I didn't keep my promise, Lord. It's time to ask for forgiveness. It's time to focus on your role in the dissolution of this marriage. Not your husband's. Don't focus at all what he might be guilty of. But just on you and say, God, I'm so sorry. And then as Paula would say, make Jesus, who is your first husband, the focus of your life. Rhonda, that's how important it is. This is a time for you to reconnect to Jesus. And regardless of why you're divorced, unless he's given you biblical reasons for the divorce, um, You've broken a promise to the Lord. It's time for repentance and reflection and correction. Allow the Holy Spirit to correct you and let Jesus be your all in all. Don't look for human beings. Don't immediately try to get back in the dating game. Instead, Jesus, I'm sorry. Accept responsibility. You know, I'm always amazed, and I mention this from time to time here, but I'm always amazed that when you read the prayers of Daniel in particular, or even Isaiah, arguably the two holiest men in all of our scriptures, and when they are confessing the sins of their people, they're also confessing their part in those sins. They're not distancing themselves from those other sinners. They're going before the Lord 
and accepting personal responsibility for the role, whatever it may have been, and there's no recorded sins of either one of those men. Whatever their role or responsibility may have been, they're accepting that responsibility and asking for forgiveness. And Rhonda, a divorce, a separation like you're in now, is a really good time to reflect on what God wants you to do. And the one thing I can say for sure is he does not want you to start dating again. For sure. If that seems unfair to you, here's what I would ask you to do. Has God ever been unfair to you? Has he ever been unjust? Has he ever been mean or cruel? Of course, the answer to those questions is no. So this is a time to trust him and rekindle your love affair with him. Here is a question from Lawrence. He says, if we are dead in our sins, how can anyone make a decision to accept Jesus? Lawrence, you either are or have been listening to a Calvinist, haven't you? Um you know, this is one of the silliest propositions. You know, one of the, the, the earmarks of Calvinism, five-point Calvinism, is total depravity. In fact, it's, it's where their explanation of what Calvinism is begins. Total depravity. We're dead in our sins. And what they will say is, well, dead people can't make decisions, so we can't decide to, to, to accept Christ. So the Spirit of God comes along, and we have to be regenerated, and then we can make a deal with Jesus, or then we can accept Christ. Um, that's one of the silliest propositions and, and so poorly thought out theologically. You know, we're dead in our sins, but we can do things other humans can do. We're dead in our sins. We can still walk around. We can still talk to people. We can still marry. We can still do all kinds of things, though we are dead. To infer that we have to be born again in order to accept Christ is to deny all of the other things that dead men and women do, um, just regular things going through life. We physically are alive. We can do things. We have been given free will by the Lord. I know you probably don't accept the concept of free will, but we have been given free will by the Lord. He's told us over and over and over to choose this day. Now, most Calvinists, Lawrence, will point to uh, Jesus going to the tomb of Lazarus and saying, Lazarus, come forth. You know, when they rolled away the stone, Lazarus, because he was physically dead, he couldn't have come out. And, and they say that's just an illustration of what it's like when we're dead in our sin. But it's a completely different thing. To be dead physically it's different than being dead spiritually. We're not tuned into the things of God. Frankly, most people care nothing about the things of God. But then the Holy Spirit comes along and enlightens us. He starts the process of drawing us to Him. But, but when the Spirit is drawing us to God, He's drawing us to making a decision of our own free will, either to follow Him or to reject Him. So, um, Lawrence, the, 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 the Calvinist concept of total depravity, um, the extreme to which they take that interpretation, is completely flawed. It's sophomoric uh, in terms of, of uh, the, the, the intellectual process to get there and certainly defies hermeneutics. Jesus told Nicodemus, the most religious man in Israel, in Jerusalem at the time, um, you must be born again. When Nicodemus was surprised, how can a man go into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus basically looked at him and said, you of all people, being Israel's teacher, should know these things. And when he said you're Israel's teacher, it's a definite article, meaning he's the preeminent teacher in Jerusalem at the time. And Jesus told him again, you must be born again in order to inherit the kingdom of God. So, Lawrence, for you and for me, before we got saved, we were dead spiritually. That's a theological truth we can't deny. But in this case, we still have the capacity to live. Lazarus, physically dead, had no opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. So I hope that makes sense to you, Lawrence. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Alan from San Antonio Online 1. Alan, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor Ron, God bless you. 
Thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, struggling through, but uh, trying to glorify Jesus as much as possible. So thanks to, thanks to you and all your prayers. My pleasure. Um, a question for you. Um, it's rare. It's rare that I have questions, but um, I was reading uh, the end of Isaiah, and it's something where the lion lays down near the lamb, or the wolves and the sheep lay down together. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the uh, future uh, millennium, I think. Yes. And, um, is it, it's because Jesus says when they, when the when the um, when the uh, lawyers. And uh, who are we going to be married to? And he says, oh, well, you won't be married to anyone in heaven. You'd be like angels. And so a lot of people assume they won't be married to um, the person they love or their wife in heaven. And then when you hear about the millennium, a thousand years, and a lot of people would like to um, to um, believe that they'd be reunited with their loved ones and, and maybe their wife and Alan, did we lose you? Yeah, we, we we lost Alan. Okay, Alan, I know I know where you're going with this, so let me just answer the question. You can hang up and listen on the radio. Uh, we got you for the first half of your question, and then things started uh, fading in and out or cutting out. Um, uh, obviously, we, in, in Isaiah, Jesus, uh, the, the Holy Spirit through Isaiah is talking about the millennial reign, and it's a complete reversal of things, a complete reversal of things. Lions eat lambs, and uh, he's saying, though, no, that's not going to happen anymore. A child will be able to play at the, at the nest or at the home of, of a, a poisonous snake. Um, that, that's just a reversal of the curse, not not a complete reversal because the earth is still tainted. But in the millennial reign of Christ, things are going to be so different that we can't even imagine it. Now, in the millennium, Alan, um, people like you and me, we will be in our glorified physical resurrected bodies. Now, that's important because there's different sets of rules for us than for the people who enter the millennium in their flesh and blood bodies. And there will be uh, a lot of people who, who survive the Great Tribulation, and they will go into the millennium where Jesus rules and reigns with perfect justice. But they will be married, and they will have children, and the earth will repopulate abundantly in a, in a, in a, a recreated earth. Um, so, so they'll marry, but you and I, because we'll be in our glorified, resurrected bodies, we will then, during the, the Lamb's wedding banquet, uh, we will be married then to Jesus. And that means, and I'll use my example, Paul and I will not be married. We'll be married to Jesus. Now, God is going to make her hang around with me, that's for sure. So we will not only know our loved ones, but we will be reunited with them. And I can take that even further. I'm going to hang around and, and people are going to be forced to hang around with me from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So we're going to be together, people that serve together. We're going to want to be together because it's going to bring God glory. And as for the the, the fact that there's not going to be marriage, uh, it doesn't mean that we won't be as close as we were on earth. In fact, uh, I will love Paula more passionately, more selflessly, and more intimately um, in heaven than I ever could have imagined here. It won't be a physical relationship the way it is here on earth, but it will be a relationship that we will be together um, forever and ever and ever. Uh, and as bummed out as I was as a brand new Christian when I realized that that um, Paul and I weren't going to be married in heaven, I thought that's not fair. I'm finally trying to do this the right way, and and now I'm, we're not going to be married. Uh, but but the Lord assured me. The Word of God assures us we're going to spend time together, and our service for the Lord is going to be purer and uh, more passionate and more consuming than we ever could have imagined. So, uh, Alan, um, things will be different. Uh, you and I in our physical glorified, resurrected bodies, um, but just without the marriage. But we will still have the relationship. So thank you very, very much. Here's the last question I can fit in for this half of the program. It's from Gregory. 
Uh, he says in Romans 7, is Paul talking about himself or someone else when he describes his struggle with sin? Um, uh, Gregory, that's autobiographical. He's talking about himself. Uh, oh, wretched man that I am, he says. He's not talking about somebody else. He's not referring to the, 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 the Saul of Tarsus before he got saved. Then he would have said, oh, wretched man I used to be. No, it's in the continuous present tense, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he says with glorious truth, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. In other words, he is the deliverer or the rescuer. And we all have those areas where we struggle. And Paul is saying, hey, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And uh, and the only conclusion he can come to is that he is a wretched man. Uh, we would say I'm a wretched man or we are wretched women, uh, depending on your gender. Uh, but he's talking about himself. He's not talking about somebody else. Um, he's not uh, remembering what it was like before he was saved. This was the struggle that he had every single day, just like your struggle and mine. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love your calls. 340-9585. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show. I can't believe it's Friday already. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Maverick. Maverick, good to hear from you again. Uh, this is from our mobile app. He says, hello, can you help me better understand the watchers, plural, uh, reference in Daniel chapter 4, verse 13, verse 17, and verse 23, as it relates to King Nebuchadnezzar's tree dream. Thank you. Let me read the passages and then uh, we'll... I'll talk about it. Uh, Verse 13 says, As I lay on my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Verse 17, This decision is the decree of the watchers, the verdict declared by the holy ones, so that the living will know. And verse 23 says, And you, O king, saw a watcher, and this is Daniel's interpretation, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and a band of iron and bronze around it. In the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and graze with the beasts of the field till seven times, and that's literally seven years, passes by. So, Maverick, uh, this is pretty straightforward. I think the better interpretation of watchers, at least a, a more modern or understandable interpretation, uh, is messenger. That's what the NIV and some of the other translations translate it. Uh, messengers, and these represent angels from heaven who are given the interpretation uh, and delivering it to Daniel. Now, throughout the, the, the prophecy of Daniel, He's getting information from angels in heaven. In in fact, in one case, in chapter 10, uh, we get a look into the, the, the background of the spiritual warfare going on that we can't see in the invisible realm. And um, um, the angel finally gets through with Michael, the archangel's help, and he says, you know, when when um, you began to pray, I was sent with the answer, but I was held up. Um, the prince, the, the, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, um, withstood him until Michael showed up and made sure that the interpretation was delivered or got through. So um, I guess the easiest way to say it is the angels, the good ones and the bad ones, were duking it out in heaven. That's how important this particular dream really was. Now, for those of you who might not be aware, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, this is his personal testimony. It's written in Aramaic. Uh, rather than Hebrew, it's his personal testimony. It's how we know this this unbelievably cruel man got saved. 
And I believe personally it was in response to Daniel's constant prayers for him. But uh, this was um, God giving Daniel the ability to interpret his dream. Now, in this dream, in, in the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar had given Daniel permission to interpret the dream. Uh, even if it was bad news, Daniel, tell me anything. But what he didn't do was give Daniel permission to advise him. And, and having the temerity to, to, to advise the king could have cost Daniel his life. But Daniel, brave, 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 committed to the Lord. He knew, he understood that God ordained this very moment as an opportunity to plead with the king not to sin or to repent. It took great faith, it took great courage, but also demonstrated Daniel's love. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to tell him the truth, the truth he didn't want to hear, even if that was going to cost him his life. And what he does is he gives the interpretation and he uses it as an opportunity to say to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, it doesn't have to be this way. I always tell our church, you know, here you can do things the hard way or the easy way. And I'm personally a big fan of doing things the easy way. None of the rest of this chapter had to happen. All Nebuchadnezzar had to do was take in Daniel's counsel and repent. He would have renounced his sins, but he refused. And he refused because he was proud. And so God said, here's the judgment. Until seven years passes by, you're going to be a wild animal. And that's exactly what happened when seven years passed by and he came back to his own mind. Um, that's when he repented and declared the God of Daniel truly was God. And Nebuchadnezzar, as I've said many times, is going to be in heaven. And I absolutely love that, that um, as a result of Daniel's prayers. I tell my church here, um, and these are the kind of things that, um, really, you know, I this is my mind at work. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, ever been, power in terms of absolute power and absolute control. I think in heaven his assignment is going to be to be Daniel's valet. Because it was Daniel's prayers that got him to heaven, for sure. Good question, Maverick. Good to hear from you again. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Mike. He says, Pastor Ron, I'm interested in going to a school of prophecy. Do you have one you can recommend? Mike, if you go to a school of prophecy, there is none and or nothing to recommend because there's no such thing. Now, there are people that claim to train up prophets and teach them in the art of prophecy so that they can be modern-day prophets. The problem, Mike, is there are no modern-day prophets. Now, the gift of prophecy still works. But the gift of prophecy isn't telling the future. It's not pronouncing judgment on people, thus saith the Lord. The gift of prophecy is for edifying and encouraging the body of Christ or people within the body. So, um, Mike, I don't know where you go to church. I don't know what your background is. But you need to really and truly be steeped in the word because if you find a school of prophecy that you're going to go to, it'd be like finding a, a church with a deliverance ministry. It's a bad, bad place to be because it is contrary to what the Bible teaches. So I couldn't possibly recommend one uh, because there are no good ones because schools of prophecy are training people up. Um, uh, to be prophets simply is inconsistent with the Word of God. So, Mike, I hope that really makes sense to you because it's important to protect yourself, be discerning, dig into the Word, and understand that everything that somebody's telling you has to be consistent with the Word of God or it's not from God at all. Here's a question from Natalie. She says, I want to be baptized, but who should do it? Does it have to be a pastor? Natalie, anybody, any Christian can baptize you. Um, there doesn't have to be any order. It certainly doesn't have to be a pastor. Uh, I've shared on the program before that um, when it came time for me to be baptized, and I knew it right away, I wanted to be baptized, and I thought, well, Lord, who should baptize me? And right away, the answer came, Paula should baptize you. She prayed for you for 13 years. And so Paula, my wife, baptized me in a public pool at a gym. 
Um, and I didn't care who saw. It was just a wonderful moment. And it was my way of saying to her, you should do this. My public profession of faith, you should be the one doing it. And she was a little nervous. Well, should I do that? Did, you prayed for me. For th- I'm here because of your faithfulness. So Paula baptized me. And uh, anybody who is a born-again believer uh, can baptize you, Natalie, and ought to be thrilled with it. So I hope that makes sense. You know, at our church, we have a public baptism uh, sometimes two every summer. Um we like to try to make it an event that people can remember. Uh, they can invite uh, family and friends to be a part of it. Uh, we don't have a baptistry in our church. We don't have the space for it. Uh, but I like the idea of making it an event that people remember. They've got a date. Yeah, I was baptized on this date. And there were people at the pool and there were people who got saved. That kind of thing. So that's the way we do it here. Paul says, Pastor Ron, how can I differentiate between condemnation and conviction? Paul, this is one of my favorite questions because the answer is 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 so clear. Condemnation. Remember Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation draws you away from the Lord. Condemnation draws you away from the Lord. Conviction, on the other hand, draws you to the Lord. And it's that simple. The person who says, I'm such a jerk, I did this, I can't believe I did it, God wouldn't love me. That person, we can identify that as condemnation because it draws them away from the Lord. Oh, I shouldn't even be in church. I'm the worst person ever. That's condemnation. And that's what the enemy's always trying to heap on us. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, you know this is wrong. Let's do things right and get right with God. And it draws you to the Lord. And that's the, 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 the easiest way that we know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Let me say two things. First, condemnation for the believer deals with how we feel. It's a little frustrating to me. People say, well, I just don't feel forgiven or, or I just, I've lost my joy. I just, you got to work hard for it. It's a battle. For those of you, any of you going through something and you, you've lost your joy, you got to be ready to fight. Roll up your sleeves and fight. Because goosebumps just, just don't come flooding back in. You just don't suddenly um, um, come back to that place, especially as we mature in the Lord. We, we have to recognize that, that we fight for our position in Christ, not, not a position saved. We're saved by grace. But we have to fight for the relationship with God. Our joy comes from him. And the, the man or the woman who says, well, I just, I've lost my joy. You know, David said in his famous Psalm of Repentance, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew within me a right heart or a right spirit. And David understood that um, the joy of the Lord is going to come back with, with relationship with, with God. And for you and for me in, in these New Testament times, um, you know, it's not about how we feel. We have to fight to get that place. When Jesus is writing to the church at Ephesus uh, in the book of Revelation, he tells them, look, you, you're doing this, it's good. You're doing this, it's good. But I have this one thing against you. You've, you've forsaken or you've left, turned away from your first love. And he reminds them, here's the way back. Versus remember the height from which you've fallen. Then repent. Acknowledge that if, you're, if you've lost your passion for the Lord, it's a sin. And then he said, return and do the things you did at first. So the man or the woman who's under condemnation or the man or the woman who's suffering from a distant relationship or I just don't feel the presence of the Lord kind of thing or I don't have my joy, you need to work. Fight hard to get it. There's a great Bible passage in Second Kings chapter 6. It's, it's just the first f- verses of the floating axe head, the miracle of the floating axe head. And when the, the student of, of the school of prophets um, lost it, um, he went to Elisha, the man of God. He said, man of God, I lost it. And it was borrowed. And in Elisha's response, you remember what it is? He said, where did you lose it? 
not the general area. Show me where you lost it. And he had to go back to that place, that, that very place. The same thing is true for us. If we've lost our joy, we've got to go back to that place where we lost it. Remember what it was like when things were good. Repent and then return and do the things we did at first. It is a battle. So don't let the enemy, Paul, in condemnation keep you from running right back to that very place. So uh, I hope that makes sense to you, Paul. Conviction, remember, always will draw you to the Lord. You know, Paul always says to me, I love conviction. And, and you know, I, I think, and a lot of people think, that's a little weird. But, but she loves conviction because she wants to be right with Jesus all the time. She comes to Bible study, and honest to goodness, she takes more notes. And, and she's always right, filling up these journals with, with notes. And she goes over the notes because she doesn't want to waste even another evening or another day separated from God because of sin. Conviction allows her to stay close. You know, uh, Paul, I, 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 I laugh. Now, this doesn't happen to me because I, my phone doesn't do anything. Uh, I, I make I, I occasionally make a phone call. That's very rare. I, I I receive some phone calls, but I don't text. I don't do anything else on my phone because I can't see. And I like it that way because I'm not always tethered to my phone. And I watch people who are who are always on their phones and they're always worried about the battery, low battery, low battery. I'm going to run out of battery. I never have to worry about that. Well, Paula, because of conviction, never has to worry about that. Her battery is always full because she wants to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So that's why conviction matters so much. 34090, no, I think we got a phone call. Got Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thank you for holding your on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hey, um, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I hear an echo. Uh, uh, on Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Created man in his image. So, and I know the devil's a ruler of this world, right? So, um, he's, uh, he's confusing these people, thinking that there can be, uh, they're men, but they want to become women. And I, I, I see the big picture. I see that they're um, they're confused, and um, they're never going to be women, never, because God didn't create them that way. Yep. And I don't know. Um, I, I know God loves them, but you know He loves all sinners. And I, don't, I just uh, I don't know. It, it just very, it, it troubles me, but I don't want to be, I, I'm not caught up in it. I just, it just kind of bothers me. I don't think they should be teaching our children in school that they have a right to choose what gender they want because they're too young to, uh, to recognize that. Yep. But I mean, as far as my wife and I, we we have grandchildren and we teach them the right way, the ways of the Lord, the best way we can. And, and she, just show them this is the way God uh, created you. You, you know, you're a little boy, and this is what God created you to be. So that's our job. It's yep. not not the school's job to teach them that. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And uh, I, I don't know. I just wanted to put my tell you that because I I know it's getting worse. It's yeah, get worse. Jimmy, we are in a full-out battle. Um, This is so demonic. Um, You know, I've actually had people use verse 27 of Genesis 1 to justify um, this this trans craziness that we have going on in our world. Well, in the image of God, he created them male and female. So we both have, we all are male and female. That's not at all what he says. He's just referring to the two people that he, he created. He created Adam, a man. He created Eve, a woman. And he, God was the one that created him. And in fact, those are the only two people ever who are created by the direct hand of God. 
So the idea here that that our our nation has has um, unbelievably, um, unexplainably embraced is a lie from Satan. You know, over and over throughout the scriptures, we see God allows a lying spirit, a lying spirit put in the mouth of false prophets or a lying spirit um, 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 to deceive people. Uh, it's a judgment. And what's happened is um, it, it's not that people are confused. I mean, just think, Jimmy, I know you and, and you and I were old enough uh, to remember where the one thing that was undeniably clear was gender, biology. And and now people are confused, but they're confused because they want to be. God has literally, Romans chapter 1 says, God has given us over to ourselves. He's given us over to ever-hardening hearts. And, and anyone who would believe, just to get along, uh, tonight in Galatians, we're going to talk a little bit about Paul saying, I'm not doing this to please men, I'm doing this to please the Lord. Uh, but in the world that we live in, in order to please men, in order to be accepted by, by humans, other humans, um, we, we convince ourselves that these impossible things are true. And this is a direct attack, a satanic attack on, on mankind being created in the image of God. And basically, the lie that we bought is, God, you messed up. You put me in the wrong body. I'm a male physically or biologically, but, but, but I identify as a female because that's where I'm more comfortable. It's not loving. It's not loving at all to embrace that. And yet, that's what's happening uh, in, in our nation in, in, to a degree that I don't think, Jimmy, people your age and mine, just for the audience, Jimmy's way, way, way younger than me. But people that grew up when we grew up never, ever would have even questioned this. And all of a sudden, now to question it turns you into a, a transphobe or a bigot or, or somebody who's closed-minded. And it's simply not true. That is the lie of the enemy. God has given us over to ourselves. Remember what happened to Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Seven times, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Finally, we read in Exodus that that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That was that moment where he gave himself over. And when you see people embracing this, this trans nonsense, it's because God has given us over to our own hearts. And we do what seems right to us, or we do what we want to do instead of what God wants to do. And the result of that is always catastrophic. So, Jimmy, the only way to battle this is with prayer and the truth. And here's what we're going to see in the next few years. You watch this, and, and mark my words, I'm not a prophet, but mark what's going to happen. We're going to see people's lives so completely and utterly destroyed by the chemical and sometimes physical mutilation done to uh, young men and young women's bodies um, that their their lives are going to fall apart. The enemy is then going to attack them um, from a completely different direction. And you're going to see a lot of people killing themselves. You're going to see a lot of people so completely um, um, without hope that there's nothing else that they can do. And we're going to pay the price for this. I promise you that. Makes no sense to me at all, Jimmy, but that's just the way it is. And moms and dads in this audience, your children have no say-so. You need to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth in love. But to be convinced that it's okay for your child to identify as a gender that they're not biologically assigned is a sin that parents are going to answer for. And we do it so our kids will love us. We do it so other people won't think that we're transphobes or homophobes. And Jesus is saying, hey, how about somebody who will stand for me? We don't have a lot of time before Jesus comes. We need to get this right. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. Last last question for today. Freddie wants to know, I think Freddie's a young child, how and why could God turn away Jesus on the cross? Um, Freddie, the only way God could do that was to have something of greater value. 
than his own son. And Freddie, that was you and that was me. Jesus endured the agony of the cross for the joy set before him. He endured it because you were more valuable to God than even his own son. He had to, in order to win your heart and mine, he had to forsake his own son. And make no mistake, Jesus was truly forsaken by his father. Undoubtedly the most painful thing the father has ever gone through. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, Three times Jesus pleaded with him, and three times the Father said, No. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, Jesus said. And God answered that prayer. My will is that you die for the sins of the world. So he, figuratively speaking, not physically, but figuratively speaking, turned away from Jesus so he could look at you and look at me, and he considered us so valuable that he would even give his son. So, Freddie, thank you for the question. Hey, good week on the show. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for participating with your calls and questions. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be teaching Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 14. Paul gets really tough. It's a good thing. He gets really tough and he gets right to the point. Um, um, Friday, I'm going, I mean, Sunday, I'm going to be teaching uh, Acts chapter 8, the first 25 verses, Philip's trip into Samaria. Um, Good stuff. Good stuff. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Make sure that you're living your life in such a way that they can see the light of Christ in you and want your Jesus. God bless you. I'll be back on Monday, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.